This is Radio Maria. We now present Catechesis. This program is a rebroadcast. This is Radio Maria, and now we present Catechesis. And this afternoon, we're very blessed to be joined by one of our regular presenters here, and it's Joanna Bogle, who's going to be speaking about Our Lady and the month of May. Joanna is a Catholic writer and long, long-time friend of Radio Maria. And hello, Joanna, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Great. Where um, are you speaking from? Well, I'm going to say I'm sitting in the most perfect place to be talking about Mary and Maytime because I'm in a park not far from the Thames at Southwark. It's Southwark Park. And it's the most beautiful soft summer day, not scorching hot. And lots of people quietly wandering around. I've just had a very, very pleasant lunch and ice cream with a friend overlooking the Thames. Wow. And so it's a perfect place to be speaking about the beauty of May. And <coughs> Mary, <coughs> the only problem is a lot of pollen is fluttering down, brown fluff, uh, all through the park. It's been like this, so it's uh, it's nothing I can do about that. Uh, so if I cough, it's the pollen. I'm on that. Life is idyllic. No problem. All right. Well, we can't wait to hear what you have to say this afternoon for our listeners. So I'll hand over right. the microphone to you, Joanna. Well, I'll start by not saying, but singing. I remember as a little girl singing, and children at little Catholic primary schools are still singing, May is the month of Mary, bright is the sky above, bluebells all nod in chorus, joining our song of love, Mary is beautiful, Mary is fair, etc. Now, I remember singing that as a little girl, and then rather sneering at it as a teenager, as a slightly soppy hymn. It is a bit. But there is this link which the church makes in the Northern Hemisphere, between May as a very happy, sunny month, the beginning of summer, and Mary. And this link interests me because the two names are obviously not coincidental. They are similar. And there has been in England a long tradition of associating the month of May with springtime and with young womanhood, the idea of a May queen and so on. So worth exploring all of that. And lots of churches We'll have a crowning of Mary in May. It's popular with small children, and it's popular with some older people in parishes. Essentially, it involves placing a little wreath of flowers on the head of a statue of Mary. I've also seen it done with a more ornate crown, a sort of Mary of Fatima a sort of thing. And then you bank up the statue with lots and lots of flowers. And there will be hymns to Mary. So what is this link? Well... There is some evidence that pagan goddesses of springtime were honored as the spring and summer arrived. So there's no doubt there's some link there. And the church early on made the understanding that, of course, there are no pagan goddesses. But fulfilling the human need to see where the feminine fits in, they understood the powerful, powerful, central importance of Mary. So you ditch the female goddesses and you talk about Mary. 
And then this idea that crowning a statue with flowers and everything is, uh, to use modern parlance, quite a girly thing to do. So although men would be involved carrying the heavy statue and paying homage to Mary in a chivalrous way, perhaps the weaving of the statue as a little crown and the creation of bouquets, well, it's a bit more girly. And so you have a nice tradition of girls crowning the, the statue of Mary. And I remember reading a very, very good thing in an American Catholic magazine which said, please do not call the girl who crowns the statue the May Queen, because that's not right. That is pagan. And I remember as a little girl myself, uh, as I said, as a Catholic school, I went to a, a brownie pack, the wonderful Baden-Powell brownie guides, uh, and we had a May Queen. And, and my sister and I and a couple of other little Catholic girls didn't join in. Uh, our mothers talked to the parish priest, and it was felt that it was pagan, a May Queen. And certainly in the way they did it, it was a completely harmless thing. A girl was chosen and went through the streets and was crowned as May Queen. Very 18th century and possibly, possibly, yes, a pagan, more likely perhaps a little bit anti-Catholic, uh, you know, trying to substitute a May Queen. Harmless enough, but it certainly didn't bother me not being part of it because we had Our Lady and the May crowning at school. So there's this funny mix, <clears throat> this sort of tension. These days, there are still May Queens in villages, and I, I think it's harmless enough. But we must honor Mary, and the right way to do it is to make it pleasant. Flowers, crowning a statue, hymns. And in the parish I go to uh, here in South London, uh, not for the past couple of years because of the wretched lockdowns and so on, but we have a procession through the streets with boys and girls throwing petals before the statue of Mary which uh, is uh, quite an old statue, I think, certainly 40, 50 years old, carried aloft, yes, by the stalwart men of the parish on a big tray designed for the purpose and banked up by flowers. And all of us following along behind, down under the railway arch, fabulous singing, and down the Borough High Street. And local people, well, they know about it and they sort of expect this. So I think we should all do a lot for Mary in May. And we shouldn't worry too much if there has been a, 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 a muddle with pagan traditions, because you make everything Catholic. That's what you do. You make everything Catholic. You don't need to crown a May Queen. Of course not. It's best to avoid all that. But uh, we can certainly have May celebrations. And I think it is nice to teach little girls about the beauty and grace of true femininity. And somewhere in that is learning the beauty of flowers and how to turn them into pretty bouquets. And yes, putting on a nice frock uh, to work in, walk in a procession. So I think there's something in that too. May is the month of Mary, and let's enjoy it. In addition to that, we need to understand our doctrine. Oh, and I should mention, May processions of the kind I've mentioned and the crowning of a statue of Mary certainly have their origins at one point in Rome, where the then Pope of the day, uh, this is in the 18th century, got very worried about lax morals and the arrival of rather pornographic images and so on, and decided honoring Mary would be an alternative to that. And so quite a lot of our May traditions in the Catholic Church date back uh, to that time. And a lot of the hymns we sing in England are definitely belong to the Catholic revival of the 19th century. So May is the month of Mary and daily, daily sing to Mary, and so on. Uh, these became popular in the 19th century and very popular in the 20th uh, with schools, by which time there were a, a good network of Catholic schools, uh, honoring Mary in May. I think 
we need to really do this in quite a big way. And I'm particularly keen that we should do it in our streets. Um, a parish procession through the streets is not hard to organize. And you don't need to stop the traffic or anything. If you walk on the pavement, which on a Sunday is, is perfectly doable, you are a witness to everybody else passing by. Uh, and you are enjoying it. And you, you don't need to get a permit to do that. You're allowed to walk along the street singing if you want to. Um, the only complication is if you want to seal off the road and stop the traffic and have police there. But uh, for an ordinary parish-sized procession, that's, that's not necessary. And I speak from experience here because in South London, it's quite a flourishing parish. Borough High Street's quite a busy road, and there is no problem at all with doing it. There would be if we got huge numbers, but average size numbers is not really a problem. There is, of course, always the great Catholic tradition that one half of the procession is singing one thing, the tail half is singing another, in the middle somebody's bound to start up the decades of the rosary, sometimes two different groups in competition. It's often a bit ragtag, uh, but for all that, it's a good thing to do. So let's have processions for Mary. Let's understand that uh, this is the feminine side, if you like, of our faith uh, coming out. Uh, and don't let anyone tell you it's superstitious. Oh, hello. I think we may have lost the connection with Joanna there. So in the meantime, let's have some music in theme with our theme today, which is obviously our blessed lady, Mary. And this is hymns to Mary. Bring flowers of the rarest by the choir of St. Bede's.
yes, we have right. Joanna back now. Sorry about that little technical issue to our listeners, but uh, it didn't last long. And we had a little bit of music in the background. And uh, I will pass over the microphone once more to you, Joanna. Thank you. Hi. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. No Maybe it's sitting out of doors. Um, yes, you see, for all the fun of May and Mary and getting children singing about bringing flowers of the rarest and so on, there's also a very deep, important theology about the role of Mary. This idea that she was just a random girl and she was simply the way the Savior was delivered to us, we, you know, they needed a woman. No. Throughout the Old Testament, you have this understanding about male-female roles. You have the mystery of the barren woman who is granted a child, and you have that prophecy from Isaiah. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. And we hear this prophecy every Christmas where we understand, of course, of course, it's fulfilled in Christ. So you first you have this mystery about the barren woman. Uh, and you, you, you think of uh, Hannah and, and so on. But then you have this understanding of the, the coming of the Messiah. And, of course, it is a virgin. And the angel Gabriel is sent by God, as we hear in the Gospel of Luke, to the virgin of Nazareth. And the moment when Mary's, yes, yes, I will do this, this cooperation with God, the moment where she says this, and the child as a tiny dot, a child arrives in her womb. That is where the Old Covenant and the New Covenant meet. Mary is the virgin of the Old Covenant and the New, the virgin of the Covenant. And her yes, she is overcome by the Holy Spirit. Her yes is what makes the Incarnation possible. She's absolutely essential. And all of this is is understood by the early church. One of the earliest things we notice about the church and the church fathers and so on is this honor to Mary. And there's this mysterious understanding that, of course, she was planned by God from the beginning. She was saved from original sin. And we need to understand this because, of course, Christ came to save us from sin. If you save somebody, there the various ways of doing it. If I grab somebody before they fall into the water, I have saved their life. I can also plunge into the water and swim and bring them to the shore. So Mary was saved by the special plan of God, and you and I are saved by him. You see, there's, there's a great importance about Mary, and we don't need to struggle to find this on our own. If we simply stop short at lovely hymns, we, we miss the fact that Mary is central to the story, planned from the beginning. She is the new Eve, right at the back in Genesis, right at the back of the beginning, as it were. A woman will crush your head, God says to the serpent. You often see statues and images of Mary crushing the serpent's head. Mary is the means by which God crushes evil. But she is through her own yes. She does it because she was a human being, and her yes was, in a mysterious sense, necessary, necessary for the incarnation. And Mary's yes, of course, should be our yes. She's also a type, to use the technical expression, of the church. Mary's story is the church's story. The church's yes is what makes 
Christ present on our altars. You see, there's a, a terribly important point. Every time we say the creed uh, at Mass, uh, and we explain that uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, we're stating a fact of history. That fact recorded in the Gospel of Luke, of the angel Gabriel came, it actually happened. He brought the message, and Mary said, yes, she would do it. So our faith is grounded in historical fact and in a mysterious plan of God from the beginning. So although it's very beautiful and important to sing about flowers and to process, as I've said, ideally through the streets, carry a statue up, enjoy, scatter flowers, come on, you know, really enjoy this. But it's more than that. It's actually restating something important. Now, in recent years, uh, a number of uh, recent popes have spoken about this. So discover Marialis Cultus by the splendid saint, uh, Paul VI, and understand how Mary speaks to modern women in a very important way, because modern women, too, have to say yes to Mary. They have to emulate her courage. Imagine, imagine watching your, your own son, your own flesh and blood, being tortured to death on the cross. You know, They have to imitate her fidelity, her faith, her courage. We also have the great John Paul, who was so profoundly confident of Mary's significance and importance that he had a big M for Mary put on his coat of arms. And he adopted the motto, totus tuus, I am all thine, I am all thine. Mary has been the refuge of people in trouble down all the centuries. Think of the church besieged uh, by militant Islam uh, and the Our Lady of the Rosary, the feast uh, when Islam was uh, defeated, still honored as uh, Our Lady of the Rosary. Think of Our Lady of Szczesnowa in Pope John Paul's own country of Poland. Hope of the half-defeated, as one poet has described her. I remember being in Poland under communism, all sorts of restrictions on church life, cruel, cruel, savage persecution in the 1950s with Stalin, bit of freedom which the Poles got for themselves in the 60s, heroism with Cardinal Wyszynski. Well, I was at Szczesnowa. Actually, it was the dying days of communism, and we all knew it, really. And while we were at Szczesnowa, something like two million people at Mass, at this great shrine of the Black Madonna, while we were there, news came through of the miners going on strike. And our Polish host, the nice boy Tomek, who we were with, uh, said, it begins, it begins. Uh, it was uh, Solidarność. So the beginning of the crumbling of communism. So the Poles had always looked to Mary. The shrine at Czestochowa was damaged in, a, in, a, in an invasion by the Swedes. And it... A beautiful, beautiful ancient icon, and they slashed at it. And to this day, the marks on the cheeks of Our Lady cannot go, however much they try to paint them over. She is the wounded mother, the wounded mother. And the Madonna of Chesterhova, wounded, slashed at, has been such a sign of ultimate victory to the Poles. And today, communism no longer the enemy, plenty of new enemies. 
and the poles still gather at Chesterhover. We in England have our shrine at Walsingham, and Scottish listeners have their own shrine, which I have visited, which dates back to unemployed men building it uh, in the early years, very difficult years of the 20th century at uh, Cuffin. And there have been sort of minor miracles there, too. Even though Our Lady never appeared there, it's just a shrine that they built. But there are lots of stories of people imploring our help from Our Lady and favors granted at Cuffin. Walsingham, well, we know the story there. Throughout the Middle Ages, everybody who was anybody went to Walsingham, rich and poor alike, including Henry VIII, who would later broke, break with the Holy Father. He thought he was more Catholic than the Pope. Uh, and he had his own way of doing anything, and or he was going to have candles and masses and everything, but no, he wouldn't obey the Pope, especially when it came to moral teachings on marriage. Uh, but he went to Walsingham to pray for a son, and then when he didn't get it, uh, when the little child that he wanted to inherit his throne, well, uh, children were born, but sadly the children all died, he turned on the church. Why didn't he trust Mary? Because we could have done without all the bloodshed that followed. It all might have worked had he just quietly understood that God had another plan. So we had to trust as Mary trusted. But Walsingham was destroyed under Henry VIII, revived at the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, and flourishes anew to this day. I uh, was just in touch with some people who will be organizing a pilgrimage there next weekend. Uh, there will be large events held there throughout the summer. Our Lady of Walsingham, pray for us. And there's a lot more. There's a lot more. Because all around England, and Scotland, and Wales, and Ireland, there are shrines to Our Lady. Okay, should we break and have another hymn? That's and then great... we're going to talk about some Marian shrines that people might like to visit in That's May. That's a fantastic idea. And if anyone would like to call in, and please, the number to dial is 01223 375564. That's 01223 375564. And in the meantime, this is our Sing a Hymn to Mary.
This is Radio Maria and a very warm welcome. If you've just joined us, this is Catechesis and we have on the line speaking about the month of May and our dedication to Our Lady, speaking about Her Lady herself and it's Joanna Bogle. Hello, Joanna. Hello. I'm enjoying talking about May and Mary and I want to explain that when Catholics honour Mary, it's for the deepest theological reasons. In the story of our salvation from the beginning, when God promised the human race that he would send a saviour and that it would come through a woman, a woman will crush thy head, he said to the, the Satan, the serpent. Mary said yes to God, said yes to the incarnation. There's something very, very important about Mary that everybody's understood down all the centuries. We get it in the very earliest days of the church, what we call the church fathers in those early centuries, and we get it throughout the history of our country. Now, there are all sorts of intriguing things about Mary in Britain. I've mentioned the shrine at Cuffin in Scotland, which is a new shrine in the sense that it was created in the 20th century, built by unemployed men when the local priests got them together uh, to give them a project, and they built this magnificent shrine, which not only thrives to this day, but is a focus of devotion and will be particularly this month of May. But there are also much older ones, you see. And what they built at Carthin was in a tradition going way, 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 way back. Have you ever seen a pub called the Salutation? You'll find lots of them in England. Now, they often show you two chaps shaking hands, often um, men in 18th century costume, you know, sort of tricorn hats you know, saluting one another, if you like. No, that wasn't the original one. It was the angel saluting Mary, the salutation. That was the original pub sign. It goes all the way back to Catholic times. You will also find pubs called the Seven Stars. That too is Mary. Sometimes these days, with a certain revival of interest in Catholicism, you will even see, I've seen a pub sign with, yes, the Virgin Mary with the seven stars around her head. So the seven stars, that also goes back to medieval times. We have place names that tell you about Mary. Some of them are very obvious. There's part of London called Marylebone. Mary, Le Burn. Burn is uh, an old word for a river. Again, you, you hear it in Scotland. In London, the Tyburn is a famous river now piped underground uh, and famous because it, it, it trickles past the what was once, in a horrible way, the execution site of London on what was in the outskirts and is now uh, just on the edge of, of, of Mayfair. Maryburn, Mary's Burn, if you like, Mary's River, another little hidden river of London, now piped underground. You will find Mary's name cropping up everywhere. Even the town of Evesham was honoring Mary, who has always been seen throughout the life of the church as the second Eve. You will find all sorts of things from Oxford and Cambridge colleges and chapels through to umpteen churches. There are more churches honoring Mary in England than there are honoring any other saint. Mary. You'll find her name echoed in place names, in pub signs, and in all sorts of old traditions. One I'm not absolutely sure of, but it's worth noting, is the song about London Bridge falling down, which ends, My Fair Lady. It is said to be echoing the story of the Saxons, 
who pulled London Bridge down. That certainly did happen. It's well described and recorded. And won a battle against the pagan Vikings. And it happened on the birthday of Mary, honoured by the church on the 8th of September. So that's why the song ends, My Fair Lady, giving honour to Mary. Lots and lots of songs and traditions. And there are shrines. I've mentioned Walsingham. This goes back to Saxon times. In the year 1061, that's shortly before the invasion by the Normans, at a very uncertain time in our history, nobody quite knew what was going to happen because Edward the Confessor, our last Saxon king, had no children, and so the throne had passed to Harold, whose family owned land. Uh, actually, it was his wife's family owned land in the manner of Walsingham on the coast of Norfolk, or six miles from the coast. And the lady of the manor there had a vision of Mary at Walsingham. Anything with ham in it tells you it's a Saxon town. And so, just before the Norman conquest, at a time of great confusion, with more sorrow and difficulty to come, Mary arrived in England in a vision. It's a funny thought that young listeners listening to this program today will be alive when we celebrate a thousand years of Walsingham in 2061. I won't be alive, but there are people alive now who will be. I hope there's a huge celebration. We must bring Mary back into public culture in Britain. And that certainly happens in Walsingham, where there are celebrations, processions, and all sorts of things, all during the summer months, and particularly, yes, in the month of May. Do you know about Aylesford in Kent, where St. Simon's Stock received the scapula in a vision of Mary? It's very important to understand that these are not legends. These are things well recorded in our history and echoed in the local culture. Yes, in pub signs, in songs, in traditions that are rooted in things that happened. When, long years from now, we talk about Elizabeth II, we'll be talking about somebody who really lived and her jubilees are things that really happened. Today, when we talk about Lourdes in France, there really was a vision there. So both things that are not spiritual, like a monarch having a jubilee, and things that are spiritual are all recorded and noted in local culture. There are jokes today, as in the past, about our politicians, because they are real people. But there are also stories about spiritual things, because they too really happened. You see, there's an important way in which we understand that for Catholics, we understand that heaven and earth are connected and we can expect our prayers to be answered. Mary was assumed into heaven and we too that we know we will have bodies in heaven. When we say the creed, we understand, I believe, in the resurrection of the body. Mary's body is in heaven. Christ's body is in heaven. He went there at the ascension. We too will have bodies in heaven. When we think about Mary, we're thinking about what the church teaches, what we know from the scriptures, of course, which is why the church teaches it, traditions and culture, songs and hymns, and then things that are a mystery, but which happened, a vision of Mary somewhere. You don't have to believe it, but you do have to know that people did believe it, and they wrote about it, and things occurred. And then there are things we're not so sure about. Well, like the one I said about uh, the Saxon song, was it really that song, or did the song happen later? What we do know is they prayed to Mary and won the battle. Let's think about all that and understand our role in it. Mary is our help. 
through Mary, we can receive graces to carry on with our sometimes difficult lives, either in a really heroic way, if people are invading, or when we're uncertain. As at Walsingham, we're at a worrying, uncertain time in our history. Mary appeared, and down all the generations since then, she's been honoured in that shrine at Walsingham. We should invoke her aid today. Do you think about that while we're having some more music? Absolutely. That was a very fascinating talk there. And any of our listeners would like to phone in and ask a question to Joanna, the number to dial is 01223-375564. And keeping with the tradition of Our Lady, here is Hail Mary, Gentlewoman by Kerry Lander. This is Radio Maria. You're listening to Catechesis. And today we have Joanna Bogle 
coming from London, speaking to us today about Our Lady and the month of May. Joanna, back to you. Hi. I've been talking about some of the old shrines uh, that dot our country, uh, honouring Mary, and particularly Walsingham. Uh, and I've mentioned Aylesford, Ford, Saxon word meaning a river crossing, so there's the River Medway there. And there's an awful lot more I could say about it. You see, one of the things that we need to understand is that the church has honored Mary for centuries and centuries. And she's also always doing things that are new. Here's an obvious example. I mentioned Our Lady of Victory at a time when the church was very much threatened by militant Islam. It was in the reign of Pius V, and he begged everyone to pray the rosary, pray the rosary. And they did. And the victory uh, was achieved, the Battle of Lepanto. And then the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary was, was instituted. But Pius said something else about the rosary. At that time, before his time, when we prayed the Hail Mary, we prayed only the first half. He added the second half, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So when he did that, uh, and we're talking here about the 16th century, he died in 1572. Remember that until that time, they hadn't used that second part of the Hail Mary. The first part, of course, is the scriptural uh, announcement by uh, the angel Gabriel, which is the core of our understanding of it all, the Annunciation, the Gospel of Luke, when he, the angel Gabriel was sent by God, and Mary's yes is the yes to the incarnation. But the rosary changes. It changes in the sense that it was Pius V gave it to us in the form we currently have it, although it was all St. Dominic who initiated it. And older listeners will remember Pope St. John Paul II added a new set of mysteries to the rosary. So there are now uh, 20 mysteries of the rosary, the luminous mysteries, the mysteries of light. So the rosary is, if you like, in the form of a cross with four points. And this luminous mysteries of the rosary are very popular. And traditionally, you say them on Thursday, uh, because one of them is the most blessed sacrament, the Holy Eucharist. And that's always associated with Thursday, the day of the Last Supper. Pope John Paul was a great enthusiast for Mary. And I was describing earlier in the program the great gatherings at the Polish shrine of Our Lady of Szczesna and what that has meant to Poles throughout history. So what about us now? Yes, we have things that have been added to over the years about Mary, and there'll be more to come. It's a funny thought that our Catholic ancestors in England long ago knew nothing of Our Lady of Lourdes. She belongs to the 19th century. We need to understand that history is God's story of his dealings with the human race. So when a little girl, Bernadette Subiru, from a, an ordinary working-class family in Lourdes in France, had this extraordinary vision of Mary, which has brought healing to so many people through the mysterious water at Lourdes. That's in addition to the story, but it doesn't alter, of course, what we believe about Mary, because we believe what the early first fathers of the church in the first century, people actively connected to the apostles believed. And some of the hymns we've been hearing are 19th century, bring flowers of the rarest. And now you have new devotions happening, for example, at Walsingham, where Youth 2000 had its big rallies when it was first beginning, and they didn't think they'd reach the year 2000. They thought it was just a, a wonderful jolly, and 
And then it grew and grew. And now some of the children of the founders are now attending events. And I've also uh, been to other great rallies at Walsingham through groups that weren't there when the Saxon people first went there, the Union of Catholic Mothers, you know, and the National Association of Catholic Families. Every generation adds new things to devotion to Mary. And I've been with prayer groups that have prayed the rosary, and they are groups that were only founded within the last 10 or 20 years, doing something new and doing something old. It's worth finding out more about the history and traditions connected to Mary, and also exploring why the church honors Mary as she does, because there's rich theology here. Read Hunter von Balthasar and his Marian profile of the church. He understands that the church, like Mary, stands at the foot of the cross. He understands that the church, like Mary, listens, listens to Christ and treasures these things in her heart. You see, Mary kept the story in her heart. She treasured the story. The only reason we know what happened at the Annunciation is Mary tells it. The only reason we know about the visitation is Mary and Elizabeth were there. So Mary kept things. She keeps herself in one sense in the background, but she treasures the story and tells it. In that instance, Luke, who then writes the gospel. We need to understand how the church, too, treasures things in her heart. And understand about Mary. Read up the Gospel of Luke. Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. She has the Holy of Holies in her womb. And the old Ark of the Covenant was carried about. Find out. You will find the route that the Ark of the Covenant took was the route where Mary walks over the hills and dales when she visits her cousin Elizabeth when she's pregnant. Mary fulfills the old covenant. And as I said at the beginning of this program, She's there where the old covenant meets the new, for there is only one covenant. And we are part of that, the fulfillment of God's promise. Mary understood and sings in the Magnificat a gratitude to God that she is part of his gift. My soul gives thanks to the Lord. My my soul magnifies the Lord. And she prophesied that all generations would call her blessed. And the song of Mary in the Magnificat is... Also, the song of the church, whom all generations call blessed, and through whom God does great things. In this month of May, we should honor Mary, but we should also understand why we do so. Read John Henry Newman. He describes May and Mary in a very interesting and gently amusing way, pointing out that May is not always a sunny month in England. It's often a cold, soggy month, but it holds the promise of better times to come, warm weather to come. I rather like his way of describing that. As I'm speaking today, it's a warm, sunny day, but we've often known, as he puts it, an inclement May in his Victorian prose, cold, rainy days. But there's always the promise of summer. And so May is also about Mary and promise. Mary is the promise. In her, the Savior is nurtured in the womb and then born. Mary said yes to God. The church says yes to God. The church also is part of the incarnation. The word is made flesh on the altars of our churches. When we ponder Mary in May, we need to do it with joy and with the certainty that God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. But I would like to see more open celebrations. 
why not join parishes like ours where we have a procession through the streets, the busy streets of South London along the Borough High Street and so on. And let's have crownings of the statue of Mary in our Catholic schools and in our Catholic groups and organizations. Mary is the promise fulfilled, and she's also our promise of help. There may be tough times coming. It's not easy to be an active Christian today in Britain, to affirm the church's teachings about marriage as the union of a man and a woman, to affirm the beauty of human sexuality as fulfilled in marriage and only in marriage, with the birth of a child and so on, as the gift of God to the married couple. These things are rather unpopular today. People think children are a nuisance. You even get young people saying we shouldn't bring them into this world. And there's a sadness about that. Let's trust as Mary trusted and also rejoice as she rejoiced in the Magnificat and also have courage as she did. Mary is often described as the queen of martyrs. And all the martyrs down all the Christian centuries have honored Mary. So in this month of May, it's fun to have processions and good to pray the rosary, but we also need it. We really need it at a steep level. And while I'm sitting here in a London park in sunshine, I'm, I'm also thinking about the tough ways of having to be a Catholic today, to uphold truths about the human person, the sanctity of the unborn child in the womb, the truth taught by the church, the wrongfulness of blasphemy, the wrongfulness of pornography, the need to be neighborly and kind to everyone, not to faction people up into different lobby groups and so on. The need to care for the poor, tough times may be coming. And Mary can help us with all of that. Mary is the help of Christians, and she's our heavenly patroness. And she's waiting there in heaven, not in a passive sense, but rejoicing with all the saints, hearing our prayers. Hail Mary, full of grace. As the angel said it, so we say it. She is full of grace, not half full. She has the Immaculate Conception. Mary, pray for us. Amen to that. Thank you very much, Joanna. That was a very wonderful talk and uh, very, very detailed. And uh, it was a real pleasure to hear your your reflections on Our Lady and and all the uh, traditions that have gone before our rich Catholic faith. So unfortunately, we're coming towards the end of the program now. Um, but I'm sure you'll be back with us again, no doubt. I hope to. Looking forward to it. Me Cheerio. too. Me too. Take care and uh, we'll see you Cheerio. again soon. We will. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Now.